Okay, I'd like you, if you would, in your Bibles, turn to Malachi. If you don't know where that is, find Matthew and go backwards. You'll be there really, really quickly. So, um, Book of Malachi. And thank you for coming. I realize that some of you have had a marathon weekend, so appreciate your stamina uh, coming out tonight. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 1, but we'll, in the will of the Lord, try and cover the whole chapter in the time we have before us this evening. So beginning Malachi 1 verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts, unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, beseech God that he'll be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. And again, God will bless that reading of his precious word to us this evening. First of all, why Malachi? You might be asking that question. And part of the reason is last uh, December, uh, my wife and I were in Singapore and Malaysia, and they asked us a week before we were to go, would you preach on Malachi, which is very typical of Asian assemblies. They kind of give you lots of notice. And just so happened that that week before I was going, I was in the middle of a series of gospel meetings in southern Ontario. And so uh, every spare second was spent reading the book of Malachi. And I got to preach on it over there. And it was such a blessing to my own soul. And I thought so relevant to the day and age in which we live that this message needs to be heard, not just in Malaysia. So that's kind of the background behind it. And if I'm going to put a title on this, this series, it's simply this, When the People of God Lose the Fear of God. When the People of God 
lose the... Now, we recognize that in the wider world, there's no fear of God, right? In our culture, it's a given now. The fear of God largely has gone. That's one thing. But when the church of God in our day has lost the fear of God, we're in serious trouble. And this is what you're going to find in Malachi's day. Every chapter, he is going to refer to the fear of the Lord. And so, for instance, we saw it in verse 6, where he says, uh, A son honors his father, a servant is master. If I then be a father, where's my honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts to you, O priests. Right? So he's, he's actually speaking to the priests. Now, if the priests have lost the fear of God in Israel, where would that leave the people? Right? As priests, so go the people. Right? So, so even in the so-called spiritual leaders of the nation, the fear of God is gone. God is saying, where is my fear? Uh, just look at chapter 2 just for a second. We're, we're going to look at it verse by verse, but I want you just to see where I'm getting this theme idea from. And so this speaking of the Levites, and he says, verse 5, My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. Goss refers to an incident in Exodus 32 where uh, Moses came down the mountain and, and the, the, you remember they, they, they had rose up to play and all the rest of it. And then the question was asked, who is on the Lord's side? And the tribe of Levi stood with God because they feared his name. And God remembers that, but now he's addressing the Levites and they've kind of forgotten that. They used to be the ones that feared my name, but now the priests are not, right? So they've lost it. They've lost the plot, as it were, in terms of fearing his name. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. I'll come near to you to judgment, and I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against false swearers, against those that oppress the hirelings in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. They don't fear me. That's why they're doing all this stuff. They have lost the fear of God. And then uh, again in verse 16, uh, we'll enjoy getting to chapter 3, verse 16, because even, even within this wider group that have lost the fear of God, there's a tiny remnant that still have the fear of God. And it says in verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. The Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for him that them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. And how the Lord is so delighted in a day where everybody's lost the fear of the Lord. There's a handful, a remnant that still meet together, fear the Lord, speak together of his name. And God writes it down keeps it in his book. Isn't that wonderful? So so we're going to see. This is a big theme. Chapter 4, verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you'll go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. A reference to the second advent of the Lord Jesus to the earth. And there's going to be a remnant again that fear his name in Israel. And he will appear to them. 
They're going to look on him whom they pierce, but they still have a fear of God. They're going to look at him. So, so quite clearly, this is a big theme. And what is the result? What does it look like when the people of God have lost the fear of God? And I want to just give you in, in just two words, dead orthodoxy is the result when the people of God lose the fear of God. They're just going through the motions. Okay, that's what we're going to see. And I think you'll see as we go through this how relevant uh, Malachi is to the day we find ourselves in. Now, um, it's, uh, when was it written? Uh, we know that it's, it's very late on in the Old, of course, last book in the Old Testament, but even in terms of time frame, it's after 538 B.C. because of a reference in, in Malachi 1 and verse 8 where he says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? And so that takes it to at least the era of the Medo-Persian Empire, because the Medo-Persian Empire uh, was basically, they had these 127 provinces that were governed by governors, okay? So it's after the fall of Babylon, it's clearly after the return uh, to uh, the land, right? The temples there, the priests there, all the rest of it, and so... Many would suggest that actually the timing of this book is somewhere between 450 and 430 BC. Uh, it's really a hundred years after Zechariah's ministry and the time of the revival under Zechariah. A hundred years have passed. And it, it, it's interesting because um, what you find is that the, the revival... We've, we've gone a hundred years down the road and what's happened is the people have settled down and they're just going through the motion, right? That's what's happening. I find that very interesting because the movement that you and I are connected with was part of a revival. There's no question. In the 1800s, there was a definite move of the Spirit of God. People all over the world went back to the New Testament, wanted to kind of see what the Scripture says, and it was a move of the Spirit of God. But by 1914, William Kelly's secretary would say this. It seemed like the Spirit left. This is 1914. And it seemed like we were just going through the motions. Everything was mechanical. Prior to that, the presence of God was so real in the remembrance meeting that it wouldn't be unusual for people sat in the back seat to get converted when they broke the bread. Right? It just was so... The presence of God was so real. They said, about 1914, we continued to do exactly the same things as we'd done before but it just seemed like the presence of God was gone. That's a challenge to think about, right? Because could we be like Malachi's day? See, they're orthodox. They're not involved in idolatry. When they came back from Babylon, they're cured of idolatry. The, the, the temple is functioning. The priests are doing their thing. All They are absolutely orthodox. But they've lost the fear of God. And there's, there's just a, a mechanical going through the motions. And you're going to see it even in the way they go about it, right? Could that be 
speaking to our day and our generation? I think it is. And we want to look at what does Malachi say? How does he address these things? And so a very, very pertinent book. Now, who is this man? His name means messenger. Messenger of Jehovah. Messenger. But we really don't know anything about him at all, other than he's God's messenger. And some have suggested the idea is this, that the man is so consumed in his message that you don't even see the man, you just see his message. It would be good if we had people like that, right? Less of self, more of the message that God has given, right? And so this man, the messenger... Now, again, there's going to be a reference to messengers all the way through this book. He's the messenger. But if you look at chapter 2, you'll find that um, the Levites were meant to be uh, God's messengers. And um, uh, he mentions in chapter 2 about the Levites, uh, verse 7, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge... And they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So in the Old Testament, the priests actually were teaching priests. They were meant to teach the law. We look at that in more detail when we get to chapter 2. But they were meant to have the message from God, but they'd lost it. So now there's a need for another messenger, this prophet, who we really don't know anything about other than he's the messenger. But then in chapter 3... I want you to notice again, uh, in verse 1, he says, Behold, I'll send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Another 400 years down the pike, there's another messenger coming. John the baptizer, right? I'll send my messenger. And then what's he going to do? He's preparing the way before me. And then look again, it says in verse 1, And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Interesting. Messenger, messenger. The idea is this. God is speaking, but are we listening? Right? God is sending faithfully his messengers. Levite were to be his messengers. They failed. Okay, God sends a prophet. He's going to send another prophet, John the baptizer. He's going to send the Lord Jesus, the ultimate messenger. And it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 1. Is that what comes to your mind? God in... in former times, spoken to the fathers by the prophets, as in these last days, spoken to us by his son. And so we just get the ideas. God is speaking. No question about it. God has a message to get across. But are we really listening? And so uh, this man, Malachi, my messenger. And uh, the Latin translation is angelicus, from which we get angel, because angels are messengers, right? And so uh, some have suggested uh, that uh, Malachi is the unknown prophet with the angel name. Okay, and, and that's interesting because certainly in some cultures, maybe in the Hispanic culture, uh, I know people called angel, right? And, and so that idea that, that he's angel, but he's a real person, but really he's a man with a message from God. How today we need men with a message from God, right? A message from God to the people of God in our day. We need men with a message. And he is that man. He's the man with a message from God. And um, 
So uh, he, he lives in a time where, as we said, there's a lot of, a lot of orthodoxy, um, but there's, there's something wrong. And what we're going to see is that as he speaks to the people of God, delivering God's message, they are going to argue back. I've loved you. Where have you loved us? You see this? In other words, the people of God are so far from God that instead of humbly being broken and repentant, they're actually fighting back and talking back to God. So there's no sense of brokenness, no sense of repentance. They're self-defensive. They're arguing back, and we're going to see this. And so seven times you're going to have this this phrase uh, in the King James, wherein, uh, in what way, you could put it this way. So let me just run through the seven quickly, because we're just kind of overviewing before we launch. Uh, I have loved you, verse 2 of chapter 1, says the Lord, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Verse 6, uh, he, he says, um, uh, we just read, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name? Ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Verse 7, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, wherein have we polluted you? Chapter 2 and verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? Chapter 3 verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, wherein shall we return? And then 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? You have robbed me, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And then chapter 3 verse 13, your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? So you get this idea that they're just cantankerous. They're not meek. They're not receiving with meekness the engrafted word, but they're actually belligerent and they're fighting back and they're, they're not receiving the message from God. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Like uh, to all of us, are we receptive to hear God's message or are we quick to justify ourselves when somebody confronts us with our sin and failure? Right? That's what they're doing. They're just fighting back. And so there's, there's a real uh, difficulty uh, with this people. And um, some have suggested that they doubted his love, they despised his name, they defiled his covenant, and they disobeyed his word. It's not a pretty picture, is it? So, he, he says the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. That phrase, burden, it's used 27 times in the Old Testament, and it always is, there's a kind of sober mood about 
a message that is a burden, right? Yeah, in other words, it's, it's, a burden is a heavy weight, right? If, if you're carrying a burden, you're carrying a load. And the idea is this, that the messenger, the message is such a burden that he, he wants to get the burden off his back. And so he's giving this message. And, and you know, I, I, can, I can identify with it. There, there are times when as you travel and you see the state of the church of the Lord Jesus in the day in which you find yourself in, that you feel the weight. You feel, now, I realize it's not my church. <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself, it's not mine, it's the Lord's. But I'll tell you something, there's a weight. And I know this. I can, I, there's times where I, I, I come away from places and I feel so depressed at the state of things. Amongst the people of God, I'm not talking about the world out there, I'm talking about in the camp. That's what I'm talking about. And it weighs you down. And, and so he, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And part of the reason why the burden is so great is because God's love is so great. And, and their response to the love of God is so pathetic. That's why the, so he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. That's why this is such a burdensome message. God loved this people and had done so much for this people. And what is he getting back from them in response? A pathetic response. And that's why the burden's so great, because the love is so great. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And when you see poor responses to the love of God, it's a burden. And so that's, that's kind of the background here, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. There's an intensity about this. There's a, there's a definite uh, a weight in his message. I've loved you. And you say, wherein hast thou loved us? And sometimes you hear people say, especially when things are difficult in life, and life is difficult, if God loved me, why, why hasn't he found me a partner, right? If God loved me, why, why am I not getting on like I should be, right? Have you ever heard anybody doubt God's love in our day and age, right? Well, that's what they're doing. They've been back a hundred years and Zechariah talked about these great glory days that were to come and, and you know, the, the Messiah and all this. And, and it's hard. They're still under governors and they've had financial hardships and they're, they're wondering, does God really love us at all? And so God has to remind them, take them back to the very beginning. While they were still in the womb, God says, the elder shall serve the younger. Remember that? And he reminds them of God's love for them. Going all the way back to Genesis 25, verse 23, the elder shall serve the younger. God has said many times in the Old Testament of his love for Israel. He talks about it in Hosea, talks about it in Isaiah. But they're questioning, where where have you loved us? Because Because... Things haven't been easy in the hundred years that have passed since the people returned from the exile. The kingdom predicted by the prophets still was not yet come. They're still dominated by foreign governors. They've had financial difficulties. 
and they're wondering what's going on. And so they're complaining. And yet uh, Deuteronomy 28 tells us that when they had hardship, it was the cause of, of, of their hardship was their departure from God's covenant, right? If you do this, this is going to happen if you do this. So, so it, it was the cause of it. So, so really it, it comes back to them, but they're questioning the love of God. Where have you loved us? And notice it says, uh, uh, was not Esau uh, Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet I love Jacob and I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste. And uh, so he, he wants to recall to them this time at the beginning. Now, it's interesting. When you think of Jacob and Esau, human opinion would not have loved Jacob and hated Esau. It would have been the other way around, right? Because Esau was a man's man, right? He went to Bass Pro regularly. I mean, he was a hunter, fisherman. He was, he was, he was the man's man. And the other guy, he, he's a mama's boy, right? He always hanging around his mother's, you know, kind of apron strings. And so the natural way of looking at it would be Esau's the man. But the interesting thing is that what God saw, and we've got to recognize that in God's foreknowledge, even while they're in the womb, he knows what these guys are going to be. And he knows that Esau will have no interest in the things of God. The birthright, the heritage, all of this stuff will mean nothing to him. And Jacob, for all his failings, he's a twister, and we know all that about Jacob. The things of God mean something to him. God knew that. While they were still in the womb, and then God knows these things. And so because God knew all this, uh, he, he said Esau, and of course the descendants of Esau, were no improvement. The God-hater, birthright despiser, spawned a nation, Edom, characterized by incredible hatred of holy things. Profane person produced a nation that had no interest really in the things of God. And uh, of course, the the evil of the, the dynasty of the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, were the Herods. Right? Herods were that ruled the time of the Lord Jesus, they were descendants of Esau, the Edomites. And, and they kind of highlight what these people are really like, right? What Esau's lineage was like. They sought to destroy both Christ and his church, the Herods, right? The descendants of Esau. And so God reminds them, listen, I love Jacob, I hated Esau. And again, based on his foreknowledge, all this kind of stuff. But we also need to say something too. Uh, that when Nebuchadnezzar came through and uh, destroyed Jerusalem, he didn't just destroy Jerusalem, but the surrounding nations were all equally destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, including Edom. And the difference, the way God's love is still being shown to Israel is, Israel were back in the land of promise. But the Edomites had never returned back to the land. Even though they had every intention of going back to their land. In fact, uh, it tells us this. Uh, he, he says, I hated Esau. I laid his mountains and his heritage waste. 
uh, verse 3, for the dragons of the wilderness, and again, it was Nebuchadnezzar did this, whereas Edom says, we are impoverished, but we will return, we'll build the desolate places, thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I'll throw it down. They'll call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever. In other words, they'll never successfully rebuild. But Israel did. Right? So he's saying... Uh, they're a perpetual desolation. And, um, and he says, your eyes shall see, and you shall see. And so even it seems even in Malachi's day, there were attempts at them to reestablish themselves. You will see it, and you'll say, you'll have to acknowledge the Lord be magnified from the border of Israel because God's love was being shown to them in allowing them to return, but not to the descendants of Esau. Now, let's just sidetrack for a second. Do you think if an individual Edomite saw the truth and came to the God of Israel that they could be saved? See, God said things about Moab as well. Do you remember that? The Moabites and to the 10th generation they weren't supposed to come in and yet, isn't there somebody called Ruth? Right? So an individual like Jericho, destined to destruction, but there's a Rahab, right? So it's not saying that anybody from Esau can never ever come to a living, saving knowledge through faith looking forward to Christ. We're not saying that. But as a whole, that nation characterized by the founder of that nation were people who despised God and the things of God had no interest in spiritual things whatsoever, and Jacob's descendants had. So then he says, um, as he uh, continues, he says in verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Now that's not thinking of Western civilization where sons sadly are don't usually in our culture respect their parents, but in the in in certainly in the in the East and the Middle East, that's still very prevalent. Uh, you find that very much uh, this this respect for the elderly, this respect. Would to God that we did have that, but there's this tremendous respect, and so he he, he states something that's a given uh, in that day and in that culture. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I be a father, where's my honor? If I be a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest. Now he's, he's honing in on the priests here, but, but he's basically, he's asking them, where, where's my honor? Where is my fear? How come you don't give me the proper honor that I deserve? How come you don't fear me like you should? And, and he's going to uh, kind of show uh, how bad it is by asking them to basically try what they're offering to God on their governor. That's basically what he's going to do. Uh, See how that would work if you brought what you're bringing to me to your governor. Now, let's try and put that in contemporary uh, language for for you and I. So, So, for instance... Um, they, they were bringing sacrifices that were blind and lame. And of course, God was supposed to get the first and best. We know that from the Levitical system that he should have got the first and best out of their flocks. But they were bringing anything that was damaged, lame, blind, whatsoever. They were bringing that. So he says, well, you, you try that for your governor. 
And so the, the principle is this. Any old thing for God would do. Right? I'm trying to put it, I'm kind of contemporizing it. Any old thing for God would do. So what does that look like? Um, when we were spent some time living at CMML, and um, they have an amazing mission barrel uh, down in the basement of CMML where clothes are donated for missionary families, say somebody's coming back from a hot climate and they land in New Jersey in January, right? Uh, they need an overcoat, okay? Well, there's all this kind of stuff there. And, and so the local assembly uh, ladies groups often volunteer to sort through the clothing that's sent to CMML. And one day we were talking to a group of ladies. They were down there doing this and they were telling us, they said, you know, it's amazing the stuff people send. He said, some of the stuff was so gross, we had to use tongues to pull it out. It was so dirty and stained and filthy, and we just put it straight in the trash can. Now, he said, sometimes people spend, send brand new stuff. I knew a lady in Augusta. She used to go, she loved shopping, and that's what she would do. She would go to the closeouts at the malls and stuff, and she'd send stuff there. And uh, I remember one time I was walking around in Hilfiger jeans, and I was the coolest dude on the planet, <laughs> and, and it was all from the CMML mission. It wasn't because I was buying that stuff, but praise God for the people that are doing that. But for some, the mentality is it'll do for the missionaries, right? Any old thing for God will do. Not that the missionaries God, but you know what I mean. I'm giving it to the Lord, but anything will do. And, and not just that, you, you'd, you'd find... Um, and this is true. I was talking to a guy who was a missionary in Ecuador, and he said he was sent used tea bags. And the, the letter said, they've only been used once. They should be okay for you. Now, I know that's hideous to even think about, isn't it? But this is the mentality in our day of a lot of people. Anything for God will do. How does that look like practically in assembly life? People who would never be late for work drift into the meeting 15 minutes late. Has that ever happened? Not, not here. Not here. Not you, Malcolm. I know that. You're always here. Whatever time I get, however early you're here. But, but you know, there's a mentality, right, that anything for God will do. And, and so that's what the, the, the issue of the day is. God is saying, you're not honoring me. You try that with your boss, right? You try the things that you do for me. You try it with your boss. See how that goes down. And that's the bottom line. We have lost the sense of the fear of God. We have more respect for a secular employer than we do for the Lord of glory. And it shows and so this is the message of Malachi, and it's, it's very relevant to, to us today. And he's speaking to the priests. That's what's the saddest part. Um, Where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts, unto you, O priests that despise my name? Wherein have we despised your name? Verse 7, you offer polluted bread on mine altar. And, and maybe the idea of the polluted bread on the table of showbread. Remember, there's supposed to be bread on there all the time, supposed to be fresh. But I, I, I wonder, is the polluted bread because it's being offered by polluted hands? Remember lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, right? You're offering polluted bread on my altar, he says. You, you don't have 
the fear for me that you ought to have. Now, maybe there's something we, we need to do uh, for a moment and just think for a second because I, I know that there's a mentality that goes something like this. Well, that's Old Testament and you know, Old Testament is all the fear of God, but now we're living in the New Testament and we've got a much more cute, cuddly, user-friendly version of God in the New Testament. And so we don't fear him because he's so all-consumingly loving and, right, you get the idea. That idea permeates. It really does. But is it scriptural? So I want to just diverge for a second and think a little bit about this idea of the fear of God as it's seen in the New Testament. So I'd like you to go with me to the book of Acts. We're just going to do a little survey on the fear of God in the New Testament. And we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. It says, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now, you know why that happened, right? That's Ananias and Sapphira. Somebody came to church and pretended to be more spiritual than they really were and God zapped them, right? Now, how would that be tonight if anybody, is anybody in this room ever at all pretended more devotion, more spirituality? Yeah, yeah. See, I don't think I'd have an audience tonight, and I don't think you for sure would have a preacher if the Lord removed every person that had pretended to be more spiritual than they were. But it says great fear came on all the church. Wow. What kind of fear do you think it was? It's fear of God. And the word is phobos, like scared, right? God is holy. He's a God of grace, no question, but he's also an infinitely holy God. Look at Acts 9, verse 31. Then had the churches rest through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. That's because Saul of Tarsus just got saved. And were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Look at Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And then let's just look at one other reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Just to get this idea that it's not just an Old Testament idea, it's also clearly taught in the New Testament. Having therefore these promises, and the promises are to do with what's gone before, 
One of the great promises is verse 17, chapter 6. Come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, I'll receive you. I'll be a father unto you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Could it be that you'll never ever live the holy life God intended you to live if you lose the fear of God. Okay? And I think generally today, and I'm not talking about out there, I'm, I'm not really, I'm, I'm focusing on us. Now again, I don't know much about this assembly, so I'm not, I'm not, nobody's loaded my gun here. But I was in a meeting recently, and I heard a tragedy of a man who used to be in the missionary prayer handbook, who was serving the Lord in a full-time capacity, who left his wife and children to move in with another man. And when his friends confronted him lovingly with the truth of Scripture, his response was, I have to be true to myself. Now, is that man walking in the fear of God? Right? Is there a concept that God's a consuming fire? Not at all, right? You see what I'm saying? And this is somebody from... So I'm not talking out there. This is our missionary prayer handbook, right? This is somebody that was commended from an assembly and served in assemblies. And again... I recognize my heart is capable of anything. Please don't think that I'm kind of putting myself up here as some super holy. No, listen, in me, in my flesh dwells no good thing. But what I'm saying is the fear of God is lacking. And don't we realize that I don't fear the the great white throne judgment. I don't fear that. Jesus took my penalty on Calvary's cross and I don't have to. But I do recognize that the Lord Jesus, there's a day coming when I'm going to give an account. I am accountable. I'm going to look into the eyes of the Savior at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of my life. Things done in the body, whether it's good or worthless. And those, and this is not the cute, cuddly Jesus that we think of. This is the Revelation 1 Jesus with eyes like a flaming fire who's going to be looking right into my eyes. And I'm going to give an account. This is sobering, isn't it? If you were looking for a cute kind of happy message, I don't really, not very good at them, sorry, but I'm just trying to be accurate with the text. This is the fear of God is missing. And it's missing. And, and the psalmist said, teach me thy fear, O God. We need the Lord to teach us again to have a proper uh, relationship with God, recognizing that His grace does not in any way negate His holiness. Right? In fact, Calvary established the holiness of God, didn't it? It didn't take it away in any way. And so the fear of God is missing. And, he, and the Lord is challenging them. What's going on here? Where, where, where is my fear? And please don't think, well, that's Old Testament. Because clearly, we've, we, I think we've proved that this is a New Testament concept too. So anything for God will do was their mentality because they'd lost the sense of the fear of God, and maybe because they'd lost the sense of the greatness of God. 
And I just uh, I was just kind of observing today uh, in in just reading through this again uh, how many times towards the end of the book he's he's going to talk about uh, his greatness uh, end of this chapter even just notice it verse eleven for from the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same my name shall be great amongst the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. And then look again, verse 14. Cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifice to the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. My name is dreadful amongst the heathen. And so you get the idea that that maybe the, uh, the, the reason, one of the reasons they've lost the fear of God is that they've lost the sense of the greatness of God. How great, he, he's a great king. He was worthy of better than damaged animals or anything for God will do. If we have lost the comprehension of how great he is, then we will bring just kind of leftovers to him because we've lost the sense of the greatness of God. And and I think they'd lost the sense of the greatness of God. So, they offer these defective things where say if you offer the blind for sacrifice is it not evil if you offer the lame and sick is it not evil offer it now to thy governor will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person Uh, try it there see how it works saith the lord of hosts and now i pray you beseech god that he will be gracious to us this has been by your means or or, this is your own effort that you've brought this defective stuff Do you think he'll regard your persons? If you bring this defective stuff by your own means, is is God going to accept that from you? Saith the Lord of hosts, will he accept your person bringing these defective things? And says, now I... uh, uh, Will he regard your person, says the Lord of hosts. And then verse 10, very sobering verse. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors? Let me just stop there. You know what God is saying? This is so displeasing to me. I wish you'd just shut the doors. In other words, he would rather reality than us just carrying on going through the motions when our hearts are far from him. By the way, this is paving the way for the Pharisees, right? 400 years are going to be passed, going to be fully developed with the Pharisees. You draw near to me with your lips but your hearts are far from me, okay? A, a people going through the motion. But God says, just shut the doors. Don't go through this sham, this pretense anymore. Would somebody do me a favor and shut the doors? Well, that's sobering, isn't it? And I wonder, is there, are there assemblies that the Lord is thinking, you know, it would be a real mercy if they just shut the doors because they're just playing They're just going through the motions. They've lost the sense of who I am and what I'm worthy of. They've lost that somewhere along the way. Just close the doors. Is there anybody there that's going to do that? Neither kindle a fire on mine altar for for naught. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hands. It's it's not bringing pleasure to God. Now, um, 
Just, just turn with me to, to Revelation just for a second, Revelation 4. And uh, I know other translations may have a cl- slightly different rendering, but I absolutely love the King James here in Revelation 4, 11. I think it's just absolutely delightful. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, Revelation 4, 11. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In other words, what is the reason for my existence on planet Earth and your existence on planet Earth? Why are we here? The reason we're here is that we're to bring pleasure to the heart of God. Is my life pleasing to Him? Am I bringing pleasure to Him or am I living to please myself? See, the last days, men will be lovers of their own selves rather than lovers of God, right? First, Second Timothy three, and not only that, that very it talks about those that 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 um, that have a profession of godliness but deny the power thereof. Right, and so it's not talking about the unsaved world. This is this is the last days of the church. They love themselves more than they love God, and so our purpose, our reason for being here. Is were to bring pleasure to the heart of God. And God says, what was going on in Malachi's day, he, he said, it's not bringing me pleasure. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. You can carry on going through the motions, but I don't accept it. I'm not accepting it. And then he says, for from the rising of the sun, verse 11, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And of course, this is prophetic of a coming day when all the Gentiles will bring their glory to Jerusalem, right? And all their wealth and all the rest of it. And, but in a sense, it's also a picture of what really was happening in the church age too. In that, isn't it wonderful that I often think, especially because I have a son in a different time zone, and by the time we're getting up, getting ready for a meeting, they're already done remembering the Lord. And then the saints in Malaysia, they did it the day before almost. You know, but, but all around the globe, there's a proclamation of the greatness of his name. And we just kind of join in on our time slot. But isn't it just delightful to think that his name will be great amongst the Gentiles? And it's a delightful thing to think of, that, that uh, corporate worship that arises to him. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. And of course, incense is a picture of the prayers of the saints. In Revelation 18, uh, 8, it says uh, that the incense, a golden altar of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Uh, and he says, um, a pure offering for my name shall be among the, uh, and my name shall be great among the heathen, says the Lord of hosts. But you have profaned it. In that you say the table of the Lord is polluted, the fruit thereof, even its meat is contemptible. You said also, behold, what a weariness is it. You have snuffed at it, says the Lord of hosts. And what the idea is that the, the, the things of God had become wearisome to the people of God. They, they were just weary with the whole thing. And what does that look like today, weariness? Um, I wonder, the clamoring after more sensual worship, is that a reflection that we're just weary with the things of God? 
the great things of God, right? We just, we just want it to be entertained instead. The, 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 the increasing shortness of our gathering together, is it that we're wearied of divine things? You know, in the early days, it wasn't unusual for people to have several weeks of meetings. Now, you're all just kind of exhausted at the thought that we got, you know, three nights. It wasn't unusual for people to have three weeks of meetings or longer, right? But is it that we're weary of the things of God? It's a challenge, right? You, you've become weary of these things. you've lost the sense of wonder of it all and you're going through the motions and there's something missing. The spark has gone. What a weariness it is. You've snuffed at it, says the Lord of hosts. God, turning your nose up at these things. You brought that which was torn and the lame and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this at your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth the sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am great, says the Lord of hosts. My name is dreadful amongst the heathen. So how do we, how do we get back? How do we, well, I, again, I just practically, I think the psalmist prayed, teach me thy fear. I think we need to pray, Lord, teach me thy fear. And then, Lord, help me to grasp your greatness. Have I been guilty of a kind of idolatry that has made... You see, there's two ways you can make an idol. You can make one, you know, with a tree and you can chop and... Or you can make a God in your image and likeness in your imagination. That he exists just to make me happy, to give me the best life now, that kind of idea, right? And, And in the process, we've lost something of the greatness of God. Lord, show me your glory. Show me your greatness. Help me to appreciate who you are and how worthy you are of not the leftovers or anything for God will do, but how worthy you are, first of all, of my life presented as a living sacrifice. And then the all the other spiritual sacrifices of the New Testament because you are worthy. We need to really grasp the greatness of God. And he, as he brings this chapter to a close, three times he reminds, I, my name shall be great. I am a great king. Have you forgotten who I really am? In the busyness of life, there's a danger that the people of God lose the fear of God because we've forgotten who he really is. And we brought him down to our level. And therefore we bring to him stuff we wouldn't even bring to our boss. Lord, help us to learn from Malachi. So that we might please him. Because that's why you were made. That's why I was made. That's why we're here. To bring pleasure to the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Malachi and for this messenger who has a message that's such a burden to him that he has to bring it. And Lord, we pray you deliver us from being like the people of Malachi's day, who when you speak, instead of arguing back like they did, will simply bow humbly in your presence and be broken and acknowledge 
the truth and be honest in your presence. Lord, I pray there'd be some soul searching even in my heart and everybody's heart this evening. Uh, are we just bringing to you stuff with the mentality that anything for you will do? Or do we recognize your greatness? Teach us thy fear. Work in us through this week, we pray. Lord, we don't want just more information. We're asking you for real transformation this week in all of our lives through thy word. We'll give you the glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.